walk around and disregard it. Should you walk around, show you what heart is. Standing strong and proud of me, and I can't. Let's get started. It's the hardest. Walk around and disregard it. Should you walk around, show you what heart is. Standing strong and proud of me, and I can't. Let's get started. Yeah, get your boots ready. We're about to go on a trip where we wrestle nobody, settling or calling it quits. You're here for the grit, betcha this stuff is amazing. You're stumbling, welcome to the bump in the apron. Step into it, the hardest part of the ring. Here to bring fun, yeah, and this art is king. It's the best thing, making sure you don't tap out. Don't go soft with the hardest part cast out. And it's not just another one, it's clear. Off the rest, in this content, none can test. Take the nonsense off the steps. You know it's nothing but Pure gems when it's coming off the chest. Get it? Now it's time to sit and relax. Get your mind blown away. Ain't no skipping this track. Have you paid more attention? No listening gap. Get everything I ever wanted. No giving it back. Yeah. Ooh, what's up, everybody? Welcome, welcome to the Apron Bump Podcast. I am your host, Kyle, better known as the hardest part of the ring. And boy, howdy. Butter my tits and call me Susan. We have a great show to cover today. SummerSlam 2002. Rapidly approaching the 20-year anniversary of this show. As of, you know, dropping this episode, I'm about a month or two away uh, from 20 years of this show occurring. Which is, uh, doesn't feel real, but it is. And, uh, cause like you can just watch a show in a bubble, right? You can just watch it with no context of the buildup or where we are in history, and you could still enjoy it. I mean, the just the matches, just looking at the card from top to bottom. I mean, Kurt versus Ray. You got Benoit versus RVD. Of course, Brock versus Rock. You got Sean versus Triple H. You got just a ton of great work rate on this show. That's kind of where we're because that's to me. Is a is why it's such a good argument for this show being the best SummerSlam of all time, is because not just because of the matches in a vacuum and how you know how good the work rate was within the show, but just where we are in time and history and in, con- in the context of WWE because we're fresh off of vengeance, we're fresh off of the uh, you know the GMs being established, we're fresh off of you know because the first half of 2002. If you've been listening to my Previous episodes, as I have covered this year chronologically, the first half of 2002 is very much WWE just kind of hopelessly reaching for that for that Attitude Era luster, right? It's long gone, but they're trying to trying to grab that towel and wring some more water out of it, as the kids say. Uh, but there is no water to be had; it is bone dry. So what they have been forced to do is completely pivot their mindset. And pretty much put forth a different product than what had they've been given us for the past few years at that point. And a lot of it is good. And a lot that a lot of people consider this era the best era of all time. And uh, I'm inclined to agree with that because uh, while there are still many storylines, a lot of ridiculous storylines, and we're not, <laughs> it's in a weird place, you know, the Golden Thong Awards and the pudding matches and all that shit, right? But on the whole, there's uh <laughs> I uh, just went from golden thong to on the whole. So it was a bit of a tied some wires in my brain there. But yeah, there's a lot more emphasis on work rate in this era. And again, we talk about this more in the podcast itself, but uh, just the beginning of a new era. 
in a lot of ways. It's the beginning of Brock Lesnar, the beginning of the famous Triple H and Shawn Michaels rivalry. We get the beginning of, uh, not on this show, but two weeks later, the world heavyweight title is introduced. And like I said, you got the two different GMs, the two different distinct brands. You finally got enough people flip-flopping from brand to brand. We kind of got, we got solid rosters here and we're kind of off to the races. This shows also the ascent of guys like Booker T, guys like Rey Mysterio, who's making his pay-per-view debut here. Uh, so a lot of good, a lot of major happenings, a lot of milestone moments in this show to accompany the great matches. So, and just a really interesting, because we're still in a transitionary time, both, you know, the company of WWE in general, but also for guys like Flair and Jericho and the Un-Americans. It's a really interesting period for a lot of guys. And again, we talk about that. I'm just, te- I'm teasing you. I'm, I'm titillating your juices with all these teases here. But uh, if you would like your juices further titillated maybe you're just stumbling upon the podcast for the first time you're a new apron bumper as i like to call uh my listeners i don't but uh (laughs) so uh go to apronbump.com i I cover all sorts of wrestling uh companies big and small indie mainstream across four different decades uh the best and worst of wrestling whether it's ruthless aggression like we're talking about today attitude era New generation, you know, WWF, WCW, ECW, all those companies kind of intertwining. Also talk about the golden era of TNA, the golden era of Ring of Honor, Progress Wrestling. And uh, yeah, so if you're into that kind of thing, which you're here, so I would hope you are, uh, go check out apronbump.com. You can go to the episodes tab at the top and you can filter to whatever promotion or era that uh, tickles your pickle. And uh, yeah. Wherever you listen to podcast, you're fucking listening to the podcast. You know how to find me. Uh, but uh, check out the YouTube version as well if you're listening to audio. And uh, speaking of YouTube, speaking of audio, speaking of titillating, my guest today, Good Mike Work. That's right, Greg Morgan from Good Mike Work Commentaries joins me to recap SummerSlam 2002 today. Go check out Good Mike Work uh, on YouTube and wherever you listen to podcasts. All that info is in the description, as always. Uh, Good Mike Work commentaries for all the things. Gregory, um, no, it was a really fun time with Greg on this this episode. Uh, really smart guy. He's, he's been watching wrestling his whole life. Uh, really entertaining. Go check out his podcast. He was one of the first podcast, maybe the first wrestling podcast I ever listened to. Um, he's been doing it for over 12 years, which is uh, it's crazy. It's almost as old as the show we're recapping. Uh, not really. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I was listening to good, to, uh, good mic work. Shit, man. I was probably doing homework in high school listening to good mic work uh, rants about, you know, people hating John Cena and whatever he was talking about back then. Um, so he's been doing it for a long time, and I was really uh, honored that he came on my show today to talk about a, uh, a legendary show. So uh, go check out Greg. Go check out me. Check, I mean, you're listening to me, so just keep checking me out. Uh, <laughs> with that, let's get into it, baby. WWE SummerSlam 2002 with myself and Greg Morgan from Good Mike Work Commentaries. I mean, where do you think in terms of like SummerSlams? Where, where does this rank for you? This is on my Top 10 at least. I know I've ranked this pretty high when I've talked about SummerSlams before. Um, I'd have to really think all my some of my favorite SummerSlams are going to be coming before this. 
So, I mean, it would be really hard to not put it on my top five up there with like 90 and, you know, maybe 94 I really like and right. Highway to Hell, a couple other ones. So, yeah, I mean, I might even bump it up to top five. But in terms of like on paper, I think it's the best card it's ever had. Oh, yeah. You know, like, you know, just in terms of like the name, some of these names just on paper is like, what a crazy looking card. I mean, there's who's who really. So all the famers all throughout for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't know. My wrestling memory, I probably will go a little bit older than this uh, in terms of the one that I personally like, but I wouldn't argue with anybody that says this is the best SummerSlam ever. Yeah, if, if that's what if that's what they think, I'm like, sure, I'm not arguing. It's a right. hell of a, a hell of a card, you know. Can't argue with the card, right? Exactly, because yeah, you grew up because you're you know, a bit older than me. Um, yeah. So you, you more your wrestling, I guess, like your peak fandom is probably like late '80s, early '90s, right? Right. Yeah. And even mid nineties. And then I really got back, you know, got excited around attitude era and stuff. So anything from like probably peak, like 87 through 2003, you know, it was kind of like, that's my chunk, you know? And then before, after that, it's, I watched, but a little fuzzier, you know, after that and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, that's my, that's my go-to time period for most of my favorite, most of my favorite, anything is from that chunk of years. Yeah, no, I, I can uh, definitely see why. Yeah. For, for me yeah. too, it kind of blurs as, as, as I get older, everything kind of, kind of blurs together. Yeah. Like it's harder to compartmentalize like years, like when things mm. happen for me at least. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, great card for sure. And it's like really kicking off uh, the ruthless aggression era here. I, I, technically you could yeah. say uh, vengeance was the beginning of the month before this, but right, you get to yeah. see some of the, like uh, the seeds being planted for future things and, the brand competition and stuff like that. And yeah. me personally, I wasn't watching in 2002. So this is, I think this is actually the first time I watched this show from start to finish. I have seen a few matches kind of oh, just wow. in a bubble, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, so this show, probably the quickest start of any wrestling show that I've ever seen, at least a, mm-hmm. a pay-per-view at least. Cause I mean, <laughs> within the first, it's like before minute three, we're already have Kurt Angle and Rey Mysterio just flipping all over the place. There's reversals and counters and stuff. Um, as far as opening matches go, I mean, whenever I think of an opening match, like if there's a pay-per-view coming up and I'm like thinking to myself, oh, which is what match is going to open it? I have, I have two matches that come to mind that I like compare it to, uh, Brett Nowen from WrestleMania 10 and Kurt Angle versus Rey Mysterio from SummerSlam 2002. Um, and like any opening matches, like on the top of your head that come to mind as far as like the quality of this one. This one would have to be one of the top ones because, if memory serves, they didn't really do, other than the Brett and Owen one, they didn't do a lot of um, high-profile or meaningful matches most of the time to kick off pay-per-views. Usually it was just a fun high-flying match, a tag match, Mm -hmm. get the crowd warmed up. Um, You know, there might be a storyline or an angle, but nothing too serious going on. But these are two, you know, prime-time Hall of Fame caliber people in the prime of their physical careers, you know, uh, opening up the show. Ray had just gotten there, and that was pretty exciting for him just to be there. And so that's got to be one of the hottest ones. When I think back to at least summer slams, you know, a lot of those opening matches, you know, 91, there was a six man and 90, there was a tag 89. There was a tag. It's always just like really good wrestlers in there Mm -hmm. wrestling a good high profile match or high caliber match uh, to get the crowd going. Um, So this one, I think the two that you brought up is pretty good. Brett and Owen and Ray and Kurt. But I think after O2, you start seeing that a lot more. You start mm-hmm. seeing world heavyweight title matches open up the show and, you know, sometimes matches even for championships where I don't recall that happening a ton of times, like in the 90s and the early 2000s. Right. Yeah, you, you might get like a tag team title match and a continental title match. Yeah. Like yeah. this is like the perfect kind of match to set the tone for the night. Just like like you said, good wrestlers. Um, yeah. Storyline from a storyline perspective. I mean, there's not a ton, you know, ton of backstory. But like you said, Rey Mysterio mm-hmm. just showed up. 
uh, yeah. maybe about a month ago. This is actually his first pay-per-view in WWE. Uh, Kurt Angle, freshly shaven, pretty much. <laughs> and yep. uh, kind of transitioning into his wrestling machine character. Kind of less goofy. No more yep. wigs. No more chugging milk, at least for this time. Um, yeah. And they're really leaning into because this is we're getting into the SmackDown six era and we'll see that with another mm-hmm. match on this card. And this is yeah. really representative of that with SmackDown and the, like the in-ring quality, because like Ruth's aggression. I mean, that's just when they there's still like goofy storylines and stuff, but there's definitely a lot yeah. more emphasis on the in-ring stuff. And we see that all throughout this card. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, like I said, I mean, the first. So Kurt comes out, makes his entrance. Then we hear Ray's music. Ray isn't coming out. But then. <laughs> Lo and behold, that Rey Mysterio sneaks up behind Kurt Angle with the springboard drop kick, and then we're off to the races. So this is all within, like I said, like for, within the first two minutes of hitting play on this show. Yeah, and then they're just bouncing around, reversals, Angle locks in the ankle lock, Ray escapes. Um, but yeah, I mean, really, just in general, this match, I thought their chemistry was great. With uh, Rey Mysterio, obviously, his high flying abilities, and then kind of the opposite a little bit and Kurt and all of his suplexing and amateur wrestling. Uh, I think these guys gelled really well. what did you think of this match? I loved it. And I remember when it was uh, announced, I was like, oh, this will be good. But I think it even surpassed what I was expecting it to do. Because just as a fan, I'm like, wow, these, you know, Ray just got there. That was very exciting. And Angle, I'm like, this is going to be a really fun match. I didn't doubt it at all. But the way they used it to open the show with Ray jumping Angle from behind and then just the overall just crowd excitement. You know, the fog from the pyro was still in the arena. Mm -hmm. Nassau was jacked. You could, it was one of those, like, you could almost visibly see the electricity kind of. Everybody was just jacked. And I knew, I ordered it on pay-per-view that night. And that opening match, I'm like, this is going to be a good show. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was just right within the first three minutes. These guys were gelling and working. They had chemistry like they've been working. This is their, you know, 50th match together. And it was really, really good. Just the tightness, the crispness, especially looking back now, 20 years later, and see just how stupidly good they were when they were just physically at their peak. Yeah. And uh, kind of coming off, I think just today, Angle has said that he's no longer, he cannot come back and wrestle again. Right. Due, some, due to, to some double knee surgery. So, you know, 20 years ago, Angle was a, he was a machine. Yeah. Beast. Well, retiring and wrestling, I mean, is it, can you really ever like take it too yeah, seriously? Know, yeah. We got goddamn Ric Flair about to wrestle. I know. Um, yeah. Angle needs to lose his legs for me to believe that. Yeah. So we'll, yeah. we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, um, yeah very timely for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with, with Ray being so new, the crowd isn't like a lot, maybe a lot of the crowd probably, unless they watch him in WCW, isn't super familiar with his offense. So I got a kick out of mm-hmm. seeing people how they reacted to like the six one nine, the West Coast pop, which only got a two count, and it, the crowd really bit. I, I I was realizing as I was watching this, I totally forgot who won this match, so I was able to kind of like suck myself oh, yeah. into it a little wow. bit. Um, mm-hmm. But then, uh, so they're at the top at some point. Uh, Ray goes for a spinning her and can run off the top rope, but Kurt counters it into an ankle lock amazingly. Yeah. And uh, that was really the story of the match and kind of the basis of the buildup is that Kurt wanted to destroy the ankle of Ray Mysterio. And mm-hmm. as soon as he got it on, it wasn't like he got it on several times and Ray got to the ropes. It was like once he yeah. got an ankle, it was done for. Was so. No- yeah, because at the end of the day, Angle's still larger than than Ray, and yeah. you know Ray had Ray had worked with some larger opponents near the tail end of WCW, but for the most part, most fans still considered him a cruiserweight wrestler. Mm-hmm. So I like when they came in and they immediately put him in the ring with Angle and said he's going to be working with top guys right off the bat and doing it well and uh, putting up a heck of a fight. But yeah, somebody like Ray, once some a machine like Angle gets your ankle, tap out immediately. Um, yeah, you know. But yeah, I think I think they brought Ray into the company very strongly putting them with guys like that instead of, you know, with the 
Mexicools and you know, all that other stuff. <laughs> they they would come do. in on a lawnmower. You know, yeah, you know, they, they didn't put him right in the, you know, the cruiserweight division or the undercard. You know, he was there because he was a recognizable name, marketable name. Mm-hmm. And back in WCW, he didn't use the words West Coast Pop or 619 or he didn't have 16 other names for his moves you know, in, in WCW. So when he came in, I think WWE was all about marketing him and the mask and the look and the whole deal. And, you know, they, he's got his 20 year anniversary in the company too. Right yeah. Now, right? so, yeah. Yeah. These guys well, in this, this, is, this era, they're coming in the Cena's Batista's Orton's. Yeah. It's Brock. Uh, <laughs> so, she's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he had a little bit of a part in this show, I would say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, both guys looked good. Like you said, I mean, Ray eventually goes into the cruiserweight division, but I think this really set the tone, being able to hold his own with Kurt Angle, and then Kurt Angle would go on to dominate SmackDown for a few years. So both right. guys came yeah. out looking great. A few years ago, I don't remember when, five or six years ago, I did a top 10 SummerSlam matches. Pretty sure I put this one like number eight. Yeah. My all-time favorite. So, something like that, just because of how much I like the match. Yeah. No, I don't blame yeah. you. It was it was great. The yeah. crowd was into it. Um. So it cuts to Stephanie McMahon backstage after this match. Uh, she's very happy as the GM of SmackDown. It really set the tone. It really showed what SmackDown is capable of. Uh, she's like talking to some guy with a headset as she's walking down the hall. And she walks into her office, finds Eric Bischoff, who's sitting on her couch, the casting couch. And uh, apparently there's only one office in this building, so they got to share it. Uh, yeah, Nassau Coliseum. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> so uh, budget's taking a hit. But yes, yeah, so all night. They're uh, Stephanie and Eric. It'll like cut back to them. Sometimes it's like in the middle of matches. Sometimes it's in between matches, taking jabs at each other for various reasons. And I always love the the competition aspect of the brand split. Uh, were you were you a fan of that back in the day? I was willing to give it a chance because at this point it was only four months old or something. I mean, not even that. I don't think so. It it, it just started. I didn't really know how they were going to handle the competition thing after swallowing up WCW. And I was, I was mm-hmm. concerned about that. So I guess they did the only thing they could do um, other than perhaps relaunching WCW would have been nice, but doing it this way, I had not grown soured on it yet. I was like, okay, let's see, especially at this point, we still had the one champion uh-huh. and it was kind of floating over. And then I, you know, the competition, Eric and uh, Stephanie made things really fun with the, cheap shots and the sexual innuendos and the tension <laughs> yeah. between them and all that stuff. You could tell they were about to kiss on Halloween or whatever that was that was right. coming up. So, you know, all that stuff that they were teasing, I was fine with it. I was like, well, what else are you going to do really? So I was willing to give it a shot, but it just seems like, you know, shortly after this, they immediately started fumbling the ball on the brand split. And aside from the SmackDown six and some things that shows were doing well to me, they never really gave off the vibe of them being two different shows. You know? yeah. But here I was still, I was still fine with it. And, found it somewhat interesting yeah it's definitely still like a t- still kind of a transitionary era because we're still <laughs> kind of fresh off the heels of it being vince's show versus rick flair's show and then yep uh, that whole thing happens yeah. and they introduce new <laughs> gms and the, the draft that they had a few months <laughs> before is like yeah i think vince just comes out and he's like oh well, people you can all uh negotiate with the gms and if you want to go to the other brands so it's like yeah, people yeah, flipping. They were, they were changing the rules as they went along, literally right from the word go, it felt like with this. So they didn't even really and then flopping GMs and then never felt like they had a true direction. Um, mm. you know, until the SmackDown six really started getting rolling. And I think uh, you know, a lot of fans appreciated what the, the work they were doing on SmackDown, but even that didn't last, you know, with Heyman and everything. So right. Is it is it the raw after this show where they introduced the world heavyweight title? I think so. It's either the Raw after this one or maybe the week after that. Mm-hmm. And I think Bischoff tries to hand it to Triple H, and then they do make him wrestle a match to win it. Right. So it might be the very next night. I'm trying to remember the footage. Like, remember uh, 
Triple H holding up the belt. I want to say he had like a bandage on his head, so it might have yeah, been. Yeah, I, I can see that in my head. I just can't remember. Yeah. Like where so in the I think if he, if he still got the gaff on his head, it probably is the next. Night. And that would make sense because coming off yeah. of his match with Sean, and we'll get into that later because obviously, yeah. a brutal match, bloody, mm-hmm. and he comes out with the bandage after that match. Yeah. So it would make sense. Plus, I could see Eric Bischoff because I haven't seen it really. I, I could see Eric Bischoff being like, "Oh, you had an impressive victory over Shawn Michaels. Here's a title." So that yeah, makes sense right. in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of blood. We got uh, Ric Flair versus Chris yep. Jericho, the uh, the front man of Fozzy, which they're yeah. really uh, highlighting at this point. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you do you have, you have any memories of the Fozzy concert that they did on Raw a few weeks before this? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I remember a few times. And then I think even before this, when he was trying to be Mongoose McQueen, I don't know if that was still happening around oh, 2002, yeah. but... When they first mentioned Fozzie, maybe a year or so after Jericho got there, and they were trying to, he was trying to be like Elias and Ezekiel. And uh, right. I remember that a little bit. And then when they did the Fozzie concert, I mean, I remember it, but not uh, many other details. And they were just there to perform a song. No Judas. No Judas, not yet. <laughs> no Judas. Yeah, not yet on Judas. But yeah, I do remember that. Was he attacked by Flair on this? Is that how, is that what set this Boy, match up? Boy, was he. So uh, I yeah. think. It was an episode of Raw. Jericho attacked Flair backstage as he was giving an interview or something. And then Flair retaliates by attacking Jericho during his performance and then destroys all his instruments, stomps on the drums, breaks the guitars. It's and Flair's profusely bleed. I I can't forget if he like well, it was in the attack before or if we just like clipped a mic stand or something. It sounds like a Flair thing that would happen. Yeah. Um, Buckets. (laughs) Yeah. Classic (laughs) Flair fashion. Yeah. Um. But yeah, speaking of flair, I mean pre-evolution flair is a uh it's an interesting yeah. one because he had a, he had he had a weird 2002 because he had the whole thing where he was part owner of the WWE and then he just mm-hmm. kind of transit like slowly transitioned out of that no real reason just kind of became a competitor because he wanted to he had, he had a great match with Taker at WrestleMania but after that he had like a weird mm-hmm. heel turn too which I didn't remember against Austin it was like him and Big Show versus Austin yeah. Mm-hmm. So kind of like a, just kind of a, a directionless, I guess I would say Flair before evolution. What, what are your thoughts on like his this time period? I guess like 2002 for Flair. He was just on the bounce back. I was in the I was in the arena the night after Survivor Series when he showed up, when he came back in Charlotte. Oh, really? And that was really cool because there was kind of rumblings that he might be there. And, you know, Lawler came back in the company the same night. And I was excited to see him, but I felt like he was going to be more of the suit wearing Ric Flair. And when he's did the deal with Vince, he might stay in that role. Mm-hmm. Then when they went into 02 and I saw how good he worked with Vince at the Rumble, you know, because physically he didn't look too great in the last year or so of WCW. So mm-hmm. the match he had with Vince was really fun. Like you said, then he had the match with Taker at WrestleMania. So I felt WWE was going to try to use him. Uh, the heel turn was where it got a little confusing to me because that was tied in with so much stuff. Austin walking out and uh-huh. WWF name change. And then Vince, I think in his head decided he wanted to get back in control of both of his brands. So they did, did that angle. But I, uh, I was happy to see flair back in the ring and working, but yeah, he didn't, uh, he didn't have anything concrete going on, but he was still in the ring with like big names. It was Vince. Then it was taker. Then it was Austin until mm-hmm. he walked out. And I don't know what he did between then faced and SummerSlam. But he now, faced Eddie at uh, king of the ring. I believe it was. Okay. Yeah. So he was in the ring working with big names like back mm-hmm. getting pay-per-view matches and stuff. So I was fine with it because I thought it was going to be our last, like last hurrah for Ric Flair. Yeah. Even back then, 20, even 20 years ago, I thought every match Flair had might be the last one I ever see him in. And he's right. about to have a match next month. So it <laughs> blows my mind. But um, yeah, I, uh, I liked, I liked seeing Flair back. I was okay with it, you know, yeah. in terms of how they were using him, And then 
it really got better when he joined Evolution. I think that was a perfect fit for him. Yeah, he definitely found his character for sure when he joined mm-hmm. up with Triple H and kind of because yeah. th- that's kind of what's missing at this point is that char- he has charisma, but he's not like peak Ric Flair charisma, but he finds it eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you, are you going to buy uh, Ric Flair's last match? Oh, do I have to buy that to see it? I think I think it's like two hundred dollars or something. Didn't I read that? Somewhere? I'm not giving Ric Flair a dime <laughs> of my money. Um, no, I've, I love and respect Ric Flair, but he is always so hard up for money. Mm. Uh, when I went on the Jericho cruise a couple years ago, he was the only one charging like ridiculous amounts to see him and meet him and stuff. And right. I just, uh, he's always just too much wanting the money <laughs> all the time. I'm like, didn't you save anything, dude? So yeah, yeah. no, I'm not going to give him a, a dime. Nothing against him. I'm just. Look, man, you principal. might get, you might get to see a man <laughs> die in the ring. That's not I every know. day. I was like, well, I'm sure that. the you, I'm sure the video will be out. I mean, how long? It's not going to be an Iron Man match, so I'm sure there's going to be ways to yeah get the get the clip out. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, ch- I'll check out the gifs afterwards. Yeah, but, the gifs. Uh, yeah, that's how that's all you need. That's all you the need. GIFs, check out his bumps. Watch him bust out a Canadian destroyer or some shit. In his yeah, last if match. he does, then wow, <laughs> then wow. <laughs> Props to him. Yeah. But uh, yeah, to your point here in 2002, I mean, he's in decent. I don't know how old he is at this point. He's because people just looked older back then. If mid 50s, I think at this point. Yeah, he looks 70 yeah. at this point, but he's still he's yeah. like in shape 70. Yeah, but, um, it's crazy. that It was 20 years ago and he's still going. But mm-hmm. uh, Jericho kind of in the same vein, not a lot going on with him. Like he lost the title at WrestleMania. And he's kind of been floating along for a little yeah. bit. So this this match Find kind of has that element of like, OK, there's two guys that aren't doing anything. Let's put them in a match together. Yeah. Um, but a cool showdown, nonetheless, between these two guys, two big mm-hmm. names. And it's really um, the walls of Jericho versus the figure four is really the theme of this. Mm-hmm. And then you have Jericho is at the height of his like cocky character. I don't know what his yeah. nickname is. He has a new nickname every week. Uh, oh, yeah. I forgot. <laughs> king of the world. I don't know what he's using here either. King of the world, maybe. He was, Didn't he have that song that came out? Maybe he's the king of the world now. Yeah. He was a living legend for a little bit. Living legend. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Living legend. Oh, hey. I know we got a shout out. I don't know if you noticed, but Ric Flair came out to his 1990s WWE theme for this match. I noticed that. I, w- I wasn't sure when, if that was like a dub over or if that's what he came out. No, it's, I think it's a real. I think they've only done this twice. There was another pay-per-view that they also did. If this is a live stream, I could just ask the people in the chat and they were right. like, oh, they always <laughs> let me. Every time I have a question like this, like just earlier when we were trying to figure out the Triple H when he got handed the right. title, <laughs> they just Shit, let us yeah. know exactly the time date and which uh with the very minute of uh, the hour it happened on. <laughs> but um i don't uh i think they only did it one other time i think the pay-per-view is in canada and it was just random there was no reason for it they just had him come out to his 90s theme which really i actually kind of like better i don't know why mm-hmm. um than the one we're used to but that that theme flair had in his one year run in 92 and 93 or 91 and 92 in wwe i loved it and they used it here for some reason don't yeah. know why. Maybe it's just, you know, big no SummerSlam, biggest party of the summer. Yeah, let's, let's bust yeah. out a new theme. Bust out, yeah, old school. Or old school theme, yeah. But uh, yeah. it's a decent match. Uh, you got Jericho. Mm-hmm. He keeps, like, taunt. Like, there's one point where he taunts when he's on the top rope, and this allows Flair to take advantage. So a lot of this match is, like, the dirty, dirtiest player in the game versus the another dirty player and Chris Jericho. Yeah. And uh, there's one point. Uh, so uh, Flair goes for the walls of Jericho. But this gets countered by Jericho. So Jericho locks in the figure four. Uh, Flair gets gets to the ropes. He grabs the rope and taps out at the same time. But I guess the ref saw it as he grabbed the rope first. Yeah. Uh, so that's not little the mage. little mage. Oh, yeah. What's the yeah. mage? Oh, it's all. Yeah. He's in cahoots. It's a conspiracy. Yeah, he's in cahoots. Yeah. Well, did you see what Jer- Jericho? I like what you said about kind of uh, the uh, dirtiest player in the game 
competition because yeah. Jericho had a brilliant heel move. He went over to the turnbuckle pad and tried to yes. just mess with it. Looked like he was going to take it off, but it was just a distraction. So Charles and Lil Nate runs over there to fix it. Then he unravels <laughs> his tape and chokes Ric Flair out while the referees mess. I'm like, that's a that's right. outdoing Ric Flair right there. I thought that was a a brilliant heel move by Jericho to just kind of distract Lil Nate. So even if Lil Nate tried to be in cahoots with Rick, Jericho still outsmarted him. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I noted that as well. That was that was really clever. But yeah. then, um, so after, so Jericho thinks he made Flair tap out, and he's pissed off that Lil Nate shoves him. Uh, turns around, gets chopped by Flair, and Jericho goes flailing into the ref. Lil Nate goes down. And this allows Flair to hit the low blow, his finishing move, followed by the figure <laughs> four for the tap out. So ultimately, while Jericho had his moments of healdom, uh, he can't mm -hmm. beat Flair. He's the dirtiest. So yep. uh, he yep. gets the he win. the low blow. Yep. So uh, it was a fun battle of, of these two. Uh, Flair's not a heel, but they're both with heelish tendencies. Uh, so it was, it was a fun watch, I thought. Yeah, and I'm glad we got this match down and done on a major pay-per-view. I'm, I'm glad yeah. that there's a Ric Flair and Chris Jericho match that exists on a big pay-per-view that's not a throwaway one or forgotten match or something. I mean, this is on one of the best SummerSlams ever. So, you know, mm -hmm. at least it's a one-on-one -on -one match we got done, and we were never sitting here like, how come Jericho and Flair never work together or something? You know, I'm glad right. we at least... I'm glad we at least got that, even if it was a strange time period. Kind of like you said, probably two guys that need a pay-per-view match but aren't currently doing anything, mash them together. Yeah, kind of fell into see place. If can, see if you can make some salad. And they did. A good one. For sure. Yeah. 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 A little, little mini dream match of sorts. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But then after that, it cuts to Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman in their locker room. And I guess it didn't show it on Peacock, but I guess like a Hulk Hogan DVD commercial showed before this. And then yeah. Heyman references it. And he's like... Uh, because he's talking about it and he's talking about how Lesnar killed Hulkamania a few weeks ago in SmackDown with uh, a bunch of F5s and a bear hug that made Hogan bleed out his mouth. It was really brutal. It was um, awesome. <laughs> you're you're a big yeah. fan of seeing Hogan. I was, I was supposed to be at that show and I didn't go. My buddy went. I think it was in Richmond uh -huh. um, when I lived on the East Coast. And uh, I was going to go because I went to all the shows in the Carolinas. And for some reason, because I went to a couple other shows before SummerSlam, right. but for some reason just didn't go to that one. And he was bra he came back bragging about it. He's like, it was awesome. Brock destroyed <laughs> Hogan. And I'm like, I would have really liked to have been there in the arena for that. And I just missed it. Yeah. But yeah, that's what they were referencing. Yeah, I watched it on Peacock too just a little while ago. And when they cut back to that, you could tell that something was playing on the monitor. Mm -hmm. So it must have been that Hogan that Hogan DVD or that Hogan video package or whatever it was. Yeah. But uh, yeah, definitely sweetly building to the main events uh, later mm -hmm. in the show. But uh, after that, we got a little more SmackDown 6 action. We got Eddie Guerrero versus Edge. Man, these guys had such good chemistry. I don't think they ever missed in a match yeah. they had together. I mean, do you have like a particular favorite out because they had a bunch of matches in this time period? Yeah, not really. I'm not really good at remembering these specific matches between those two or mm. which ones really stand out. I mean, I liked them work together, working together. I'm assuming this might have been the first or I think it was the first. You know, unless unless they worked before Eddie got let go because I know he just came back a couple months before this. So right. unless they worked in like 2000 when when he was a radicals, they might have, but in terms of any sort of one-on-one uh, -on -one thing here, I think this was the first. And again, just like Angle and uh Ray, like peak physical condition for both of these guys. Oh, yeah. I don't think they've ever been in better shape. So made the match just that much better. And you could tell what bubbling stars they were. Edge coming out to Rob Zombie. Loved <laughs> yeah. it. You a fan yeah. of the Rob Zombie? I like this, the Rob Zombie theme. I like that yeah. one for Edge. I just thought it fit him at that time period. I thought it was perfect. And so whenever you hear it on the on Peacock or somewhere when it's not dubbed out, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, cool. I, I like that. I always like that Edge theme. Yeah, it made him feel like a star because this is like when they yeah. were first experimenting with like real music as theme songs. Right. 
So I made him stand yeah. out. They're like trying to give him like a rock star kind of uh, aura yeah. about him. And I think it worked for sure. And he had it because I heard them on commentary mention that this whole issue is because of some jealousy. Eddie's jealous that Edge is a sex symbol, but he's Latino heat. And yeah, that's, that's how I mean, Jim, Eddie's Jim pretty Ross sexy too. I explain mean. it. He's like, yeah, I mean, Eddie is fine. <laughs> so I don't know what he's in worried. His biceps. Yeah, I don't know what he's worried about. But apparently this whole thing, according to the commentary, because I was like, I wonder why these guys are actually feuding. I'm not even sure. And apparently it was based in some sort of professional or jealousy that eddie has for edge getting all the ladies or something <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. stealing stealing all the mamacitas away from him that's, or something that's like what that. he does that that Adam. <laughs> that's what he does <laughs> keep your mamacitas away from edge he'll yeah. take him to this day yeah. i mean he's in better shape probably now than he was here yeah hide your kids hide your mamacitas <laughs> yeah but uh yeah i know i think they had another match at the next pay-per-view and i know they had a street fight i believe or a ladder match on smackdown at some point which is the one i remember oh. that's the one that sticks out to me but um yeah like, like you said there's kind of just you know personal jealousy is really the uh foundation for the storyline nothing too complex here just really smackdown that they're really the smackdown six i don't think they ever like said that but there was one point right. there was like who was in the ring it was like ray mysterio john cena edge and someone else and it was like this is the future of smackdown and they, they even mm -hmm. said that about edge as he comes out so they're really yeah. pushing that home building up uh the new talent which is fun funny to say about Edge, building up new talent yeah, and everything would build here, I guess, from with Eddie and Edge. I mean, this was just kind of the start of it. And it sounds like it gets a lot better. Yeah, so. yeah, for sure. Yeah, and um, so yeah, the story here. So one other note is that Edge is coming off a shoulder injury, which he got in a steel cage match with Kurt Angle a few months ago. Um, so that's really the story of the match is because there's at one point Edge ties up Eddie in the ropes and he goes for a spear. He hits one spear and he goes for a second one. Eddie moves out of the way and Edge goes torpedoing out to the floor and hurts his shoulder. And then from that point on, Eddie starts wearing down the shoulder. There's one spot, which is crazy. So Eddie grabs the wrist of Edge and he goes up, runs up the ropes like he, he would do like a head scissors typically or something like that. Mm -hmm. But this time he comes off the top into an arm breaker, which I thought was sick oh, looking. Yeah. <laughs> and um, continues to wear down the shoulder after that. Eventually Edge fights back face buster he does a suplex from the inside the ring to the outside which i thought was pretty fun mm -hmm. yeah that's a good spot <laughs> and taz had a funny line he said the edge should be dq'd for that you know it's like, <laughs> wcw 94 apparently yeah i know right <laughs> um oh yeah i love that i love when the announcers get uh partial <laughs> yeah a professional that taz yeah uh so yeah edge still you know cross by the outside face buster on the inside he goes for a spear but gets countered with a beautiful drop kick by Eddie right to the shoulder. So continuing the attack on the shoulder is the story here. And then even a, a frog splash to the shoulder of Edge, which also mm. was pretty gnarly, but only gets a two yeah. count somehow. Uh, edge, it's execution for a two count. So really good false finishes here at the end. Uh, Eddie goes for another like walk up something. I don't know, another arm breaker or something, but Edge whips him off and then hits the spear for the win. So Edge gets the win here. And yep. uh, yeah, just two, I mean, at this point, young talents that have great futures ahead of them. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a really good match, Eddie. I always loved how Eddie could jump off the top rope and do that like roll thing that was kind of the setup for the finish here, how he almost would, he could even be jumping up from eight feet and he would just roll like it was so smooth, just into a somersault right back on his feet and then to eat the spear. But every time he he missed a, a splash or missed a swanton or something, the way he'd uh -huh. roll through it like that, he's just stupidly talented yeah this one specifically like made my butthole pucker up a little bit because he almost yeah. landed on his neck mm -hmm. yeah but uh those yeah. big ass shoulders and neck of eddie mm -hmm. um <laughs> but uh mm -hmm. great stuff there but some 
maybe less than great stuff after. So we have the real Americans backstage with Coach. Um, so un-Americans. That's oh, I, I typed in real Americans. I don't know. I had <laughs> un-American. Um, not real Americans. They're the unreal Americans. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so Lance Storm, Christian, and Test uh, backstage. What, what are your thoughts on this fact? This is kind of they're in the beginnings of their fa- their uh, being a faction and yeah. branding. And all I guess that. I didn't hate it, but again, it was going back to that well again, you know, of because I mean, all three of these guys are Canadian. So I'm like, well, we kind of did this sort of in '97. You're never gonna cre- you're never gonna recreate that right. type of atmosphere. Um, I don't think the intent was to make them baby faces in Canada. I don't think, but they might have been uh, at the time. So I didn't, I didn't, I love the three of them together. I thought they were perfect. But mm-hmm. just going after the America thing, I mean, that really limits you who you can feud with. Of course, you're going to feud with Undertaker and mm-hmm. you know and guys like that. And just um, I thought the trio was good, you know, but maybe they could have done a different type of faction that would have allowed them to run a little longer, maybe, but I didn't hate him. I mean, Christian, after the promo, we saw him cut last night when he was talking backstage yeah. here. It was like, you know, just kind of hearing him and heal Christian mode and stuff. He was great. Even just back then he was so good at that. So I think individually, I'm just a huge fan of all three of them. So I always thought test was great and I love storm and Christian. So yeah. nothing against all of them, but just maybe not my favorite faction ever. That's all. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely a very, um, I guess generic uh, premise yeah. for a faction. Although, with context, I mean we're in middle two thousand two. I mean the height of uh, the patriotism in the country is at a at right. a high at this point after that September eleventh. So yeah. I guess they're capitalizing on that weird way to phrase yeah. it. But yeah, that is true. I didn't think about that. You know, especially just a year, less than a year after that. Even you know that this is all going on, and they're not they're not doing the Muhammad Hassan. They're not mm-hmm. sympathizing with anybody. They're just kind of anti-American, um, which uh, you know was going to get strong reactions from the crowd, especially 11 months after our buildings came crashing down, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. That's what makes sense. Yep. And then, uh, they come out with a, uh, an upside down American flag, which I guess yeah, that the, was their, that was their deal. The upside down <laughs> flag. Yeah. Because <laughs> your beliefs are upside down. I know. Yeah. We do have some, that's true. We have some upside down beliefs. Yeah. I love that. I guess so. Yeah. That was their, their deal. Well, speaking of upside down, we got gold dust here. And Booker T. So uh, I always loved this duo. It's like on paper, it doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense, but I think it was a big because at this point, Booker T is red hot. I mean, we would see that culminate yeah. at WrestleMania the next year, uh, fighting for the world title. But people were really into Booker T. He's kind of a freshly turned into a babyface. The Spinneroonies yeah. hot. I mean, and him and Goldust. I think Goldust really contributed to that because he kind of brought out that personality in Booker T. Because before he was just you know the WCW guy, but I think that yeah. really brought out something in Booker T. That he was missing when he first came. Yeah, into you could see his personality more. You could see his uh, uh, comedic timing more because Booker was a really good like reactor. Just yeah. having crazy shit happen around Booker T. Is all you really needed to do, and he can just do that funny look or tell me you didn't. I didn't just see that or something like that. Just the way mm-hmm. he would react or interact with crazy people was what made him so funny. So putting him with Goldust was the perfect thing what to do. The hell? Because, you know, he's just Booker T just watching him go <laughs> like, you know, just uh, losing his mind. I thought they were great together and Booker T didn't have to do much to be funny like that whenever somebody around him was, uh, was going real crazy, but he was also able to come out of his own shell and show that he really mm-hmm. is a funny guy. Booker King can be funny and a serious guy as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he can, uh, have fun, which in wrestling, which is what you're supposed to do while being, you know, a top, uh, championship level star at the same time. So yeah. he needed that because in Booker T- in WCW, he was just 
really well-respected, hardworking Booker T, which is great, but you know, you do need a little bit more mm -hmm. than that. And if WWE is going to bring him in and as the bad guy from WCW in the competition and treat him like crap for the first eight months he was <laughs> there, you know, coming back around a little bit on him and now making him a baby face, the fans can start warming up to him, the spin -a rooney like you mentioned, mm -hmm. and the comedic stuff with Goldust and couple months later he'd be getting that title shot at wrestlemania the next year yeah. so you know they they were on the right track with him here in terms of making him somebody that the fans were excited to see entertained by and didn't just want to see get his ass kicked every week yeah like wwe intended for him to be at first you know that first year he was there it felt like yeah a little rough but yeah we well, definitely he's yeah. finding a stride here and i mean to yeah. your point booker i mean he could just read you a food menu and it'd be hilarious yeah. so like yeah not 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 a hard guy to make likable mm -hmm. For uh, no, the TV no, screen, the um, gold dust gold dust starts off the match for his team. He gets his ass kicked for most of it, um, and there it's various like ways because gold dust is trying to make the tag to Booker T. Um, the what happens? There's one point where gold dust makes the tag, but Lance Storm on the apron, I think, distracts the ref. So Booker T gets in, he starts his hot tag. The crowd's into it, Always. and then Nick Patrick's yeah. like, "No, no, no, you gotta make that tag." <laughs> Yeah, they did another spot where Booker was out of position. One of them was out of position to make the tag. Yeah. And when I think it was Goldust went over to make the tag and Christian just ran over there and grabbed him by the neck and drug, drug him back in the middle of the ring. It was like really good, like aggressive tag team wrestling, like split the ring off. He was just there. Yeah. I think Booker was on the outside, not on the apron, trying to get up to make the tag. And Christian just drug Goldust away. It might have been reversed with the two of them, but I really like just that little spot because it's not yeah. something you see in tag team matches all the time you know just a great save like that of actually caring about stopping the guy from making the tag never seen it done quite in that way right yeah yeah to your point i mean this is just like a really like classic tag team wrestling match like tag yeah. team matches can sometimes just be a series of singles matches but this one the un-americans yeah. specifically did really good stuff like because like you said i think it was lance storm lured booker off the apron so booker's like wait what the hell and then this yeah. is when gold dust breaks free and he's like oh booker's not there so it's like little things like that Mm -hmm. um and it all contributed to you know the crescendo when gold dust made that tag finally so booker t finally gets in just wrecking shop scissors kicks um just chopping <laughs> it cracked me up he, had, he was chopping christian it was like a, a regular chop an overhand chop it felt like it went on for 20 seconds just yeah. kicking the hell out of him <laughs> but then uh, it does like a double scissors kick onto both yeah of them, after which, he got that hot tag he's, he just knocked them both out with beautiful. one shot that was good stuff um the christian eventually fights back goes for the unprettier uh, Booker T reverses and then uh, but storms in goes for a kick. But Booker T ducks and uh, Nick Patrick is laid out. And then um, this, of course, test gets in yep. the third un-American boot of doom to Booker T knocks him out. Ref revives. Christian makes the pin and gets the win. So the, oh, those damn un-Americans get yep. the win those damn canadians that's such a good big boot god it was so Ooh, just crisp yeah. he nailed he nailed booker with that yeah that was good i kind of think that was the right outcome storm and christian are your cagey you know um heel wrestlers yeah very serious very canadian and booker t and, and gold dust are damn odd couple just goofy shit happen all the time they should be able to outsmart those guys considering that they should have like a little bit stronger chemistry in terms of like right. who they are and what their goals are and booker t and gold dust just trying to figure out how to manage this tag team together so i can kind of understand the outcome that they did here feels like the un-americans should have picked that up plus when you think about where the card is test has got taker up mm -hmm. next or here in a couple of matches a little bit of heat for test. no he ain't winning that <laughs> so at least at the time i remember i'm like oh yeah he helped un-americans win this match and retain the tag this was a tag title match right yes 
Yeah, and retain the titles because their other teammate isn't going to win later. Right. So I remember at the time watching it thinking that that made all kinds of sense. No, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then I think Goldust and Booker T eventually win the titles. I could be wrong on that. Yeah, I, they I, they have to. They better. <laughs> yeah, I, hope so. I, don't even, I don't even remember. But yeah, if you're going to put those two together, you better belt them up. Oof. They're too good. Yeah, they probably do win them and drop them. I don't remember the you know title history between those guys, but I'm sure they do get their hands on it, I would hope. There's a lot of odd couples as tag team champions in this time period. Yeah. Like, wasn't like Hurricane and Kane the champions at some point or something? Hurricane and Kane, yeah, just like Kane and X-Pac were back in the day. Yeah. You know, kind of the same thing. We had, you know, Tajiri was tag champs with somebody maybe as well that mm-hmm. just felt a little odd. Or no, maybe he was with Tori. Maybe that's the I think odd it was like Tajiri and Big Show or something were a team. Like, yeah. Yeah. There's they WWE likes to do that and put people together and just put the tag belts on them. Edge and Hogan. Yeah, yeah. That was we're yeah. fresh off of that as well. Yeah. Um man, after that. We're at the world with Jamie Noble and Nidia. I sent my submission in, didn't win. <laughs> were you were you I final like three, three, not final two? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I was final three. That's why I wasn't up there. Man, what a shame. WWF New York, the makeout contest. Oh man, the uh, coveted makeout contest. <laughs> the coveted. It's fun. The, it seems like every pay per view they have some dumbass segment at the world. I think the last pay per view uh, was uh, the Golden Thong award was awarded yeah. to tori wilson and don marie was all pissed and now yeah we have a makeout contest uh no wrestling no women's wrestling match on this card but we have a makeout contest yeah. and um we're down to the final two is just two random jamokes and nydia's has to choose which one she wants to make out with and then you got jamie noble it's apparently air rating a- this whole thing is great <laughs> <laughs> screaming you like that boy yeah, I think Love he did. That. I think he did. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember the cuck Jamie Noble. This is yeah, element of his pretty. Yeah, I, don't re- I don't recall that that gimmick. Would have made a good shirt. Yeah, just hearing him scream, just hearing him screaming into the mic. Which one you want, media? <laughs> I loved Jamie Noble back then. He had me cracking up. We going to Applebee's, baby? It's, yeah, it's it's celebrate. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's a thing that happened. But then uh, <laughs> along the same line, we got Eric Bischoff and Stephanie on a, a separate couch backstage and uh <laughs> jesus so eric eric's like man I, I would love to see nidia on raw she's she's somebody that really knows her place in the business which is yeah uh, <laughs> a little rough it is we're by the way we're fresh off of the uh i think it was a pudding it was a pudding match pudding match or yeah. mud match or something it was something brown uh on raw which was in my hometown so i could have watched that live but unfortunately oh, really <laughs> um but should have <laughs> Maybe one day, maybe one day we'll get back to that. And uh, Stephanie says a woman's place in this business is on top because, well, sex, right? Yeah. So she hints that she likes it on top. Not surprised. You can tell. Yeah. It's just, just <laughs> you can speak, it writes itself. Not surprised. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Sounds just like Stephanie. Yeah. I mean, well, now I got that in my head, but uh, we got <laughs> the inter- intercontinental title is on the line after that. Chris Benoit, the champion. Versus Rob Van Dam. And uh, at this point, so this is actually an interpromotional match. Chris Benoit. Yeah, interpromotional, intercontinental. Wow. It, <laughs> yeah. it just worked yeah. itself out perfectly. Rolls right off. Um, so Benoit on SmackDown, RVD on Raw. So this is pretty much determining where the intercontinental title would reside, which doesn't really matter because I think it just gets unified with the world title pretty soon after this. Oh, yeah, it does. That's right. For a few months, and then they bring it back, and then yeah. the U.S. title comes into play. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, when I was watching, this is a really good match. Like, definitely a good match. RVD and Chris Benoit, you know it's going to be good. 
really stiff from both guys are just so intentful with their offense. Uh, I had a tough time. Like it felt like this and the edge and Eddie match kind of blended together. It felt like I was almost watching the same thing at certain points. Yeah. I think there was even like shoulder work in this match too. I don't know. what you think mm-hmm. about it? Yeah, when I when I think back to this pay-per-view, I get those two matches mixed up. I sometimes think it's RVD and Eddie wrestling. Right. Yeah, which yeah. they might wrestle at the next SummerSlam or the SummerSlam before. Maybe that's what I'm thinking we're, we're of. We're coming off was, a feud between those two. They had wrestled out, okay. I think, two pay-per-views before this. Okay, that must have been it. Yeah. Um, but like on paper, this might have been my favorite match on the show because they're two of my favorites ever. I think it was yeah. the longest match. It definitely went 20-plus minutes mm-hmm. and uh, maybe, maybe more. I'm not sure. Um, but... It's one of the coolest matches to me because both guys are so legit. They're about as legit as you can get without having legit fighting experience, really, (laughs) I think. You know, I mean, they're about as legit as pro wrestlers you can get. RVD's got the legs and the flexibility and the, you know, the martial arts. And Benoit can just wrestle you into the dirt. And both guys were super well-respected. And the second biggest title is on the line. Mm -hmm. This is my favorite type of SummerSlam match. This is Brett Perfect. This is that type of thing. Um for the Intercontinental title when you have like two of the best in the company and the most well-respected working for the number two belt. That's yeah. I expect this match on every SummerSlam. And I swear it's been a long time since we've really gotten these, I think, you know, matches like this that felt like this. An Intercontinental title match on pay-per-view? Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a long time, you know, or just a good one, one that matters. And, uh-huh. you know, then they had the interpromotional tie in there because Benoit had just won the title and think jumped to SmackDown or something. Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah. So... And then they had the Schimmel and Howard Finkel doing the separate announcements. That was funny, stuff. yeah. So you added all that to it, plus just the match itself was brutal. I think it's the first time I've seen RVD's hair really come all the way out <laughs> before. Thank, thank you for. I was uh, like, what's you know, what's different about him? But then, yeah, he has, like, like he was because he's face, facing Ben Wise getting his ass kicked, <laughs> so he's uh, he's getting a little more disheveled. And his ben Wise has no regard for his, uh, his yeah. scrunchie, I guess. Yeah, I'd probably grow hair if I faced Ben Wise. So yeah, he's gonna he's gonna do a number on you. He's <laughs> gonna knock it out of you. Yeah. But uh, yeah, really good match. I got RVD's kicks. I think he even busts Benoit's lip open at one point. And mm-hmm. then you got Benoit behind Benoit. You know how impactful he is. Uh, but at some point, so uh, well, there's like one spot that I really enjoyed. So Benoit, because he's very known for the uh, the three Germans. And then you got mm-hmm. Eddie with the three amigos. But Benoit here busts out a uh, Northern Lights variation of it. Because like I said, he was working on the arm of RVD throughout this match. And it's like an arm trap Northern Light suplex, but he keeps like float, kind of like Matt Jackson does, where it's like he yeah. does it over and over again. Yeah. Um, so that was really That's cool. Amazing. I had never seen him do that before. But, yeah, um, me neither. And transitions right from that into a cross face. So I was like, wow, this is a really dire situation for RVD. But he eventually gets mm-hmm. to the ropes or he fights out of it or something. Um, RVD fights into a cross face himself onto Benoit, but Benoit fights out of it pretty quickly. But ultimately, uh, they're both on the top rope. Benoit goes for a back suplex off the top, but RVD counters into a crossbody and it hits the five star frog splash for the win. So uh, almost like kind of an abrupt finish, but I mean, I, I enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, especially when he just countered that top rope suplex spot and then went right into the frog splash. I thought there would be another sequence before then, but that was still just a really good match. We got to saw a new IC champion crowned at SummerSlam, which is always fun to see. Yeah. And uh, I really, really just liked watching this match. These are my favorite type of matches in WWE is the RVDs and Benoit's, the Benoit's and Jericho's, the Eddie's and <laughs> Jericho's yeah, yeah. and the Kurt's and that, guys like that. Like all those guys, I could watch them forever. So um, I was uh, really, really happy with this one. Wish it was matches that we still got regularly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's the epitome of an intercontinental title match, yeah. that, that work rate really style. And that's what these two were at this time, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
But that's I know I know what you're thinking. You're like, man, I need some more Eric Bischoff and Stephanie McMahon. Well, yeah, well, yeah, always. Don't worry, I got you. <laughs> so Eric Bischoff is like, because obviously he's happy because his Raw boy won the Intercontinental title, and then Steph does this really like Disney villain laugh and then walks away. So <laughs> I guess she has something in mind. I can't remember. I can't either. Because I know, I think Undertaker is on Raw at this point, and he eventually comes to SmackDown. So I don't know if that's what she's alluding to, or the tag, te- the SmackDown tag team title. I don't know. But maybe, yeah, yeah. She's definitely got something. She's not too concerned with it. It felt like when Bischoff was bragging. Yeah. Damn it, I do need a chat. This is where I'll call you. Call in if you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but after that, we got. You alluded to this earlier. We got Undertaker versus Test, the uh, the third un-American. And then obviously you got Tess coming out again with the upside down American flag. Yeah. Got Taker representing what America is motorcycles. And yeah. <laughs> fucking, no Limp Biscuit at this point, but yeah, he was basically. still doing that. This is before they added the lyrics, I think. Yes. Yeah. To that dumb song he used or whatever. This is just the instrumental version. What I think is better than whatever that other song was that he used. But yeah, yeah. He, but like who was going to think that, Oh yeah. Test is going to the American on Americans just with a clean sweep here on the show. Uh, this was, <laughs> easily the most predictable match on the show looking at it here yeah i think no, i think I, you can make an argument for almost anybody to win any of these matches except for this one yeah unless i mean you know maybe it's like a, a litmus test for tests to see if you can hang in the main event which i guess it was whether you know win or lose yeah um i don't know do, do, do you think test should have had a bigger role in his run or do you think it kind of uh, yes and no i think he was lucky i think he got pretty he had, actually was lucky enough to have a pretty sizable role there considering all the people he was on the roster with all right you know and you know he came in as the I don't know, the motley crew bodyguard or something and mm-hmm. kind of joined the corporation and he kind of had a slow start but once he had that SummerSlam match with shane three years before this yes you know a lot of people compared him to a little more athletic diesel or kevin nash he had the long legs and the leather yeah. and he could you know perform some of the moves he could do the big boot and the stuff in the corner but he could come off the top with an elbow you know he could do some things physically that nash couldn't despite being a little bit smaller um so he just you know maybe lacked the size and lacked the charisma that nash had um but i was okay with test i maybe didn't love him when he did his they tried to push him in the ecw when he cut his hair and he was more like oh, the, yeah. the killing machine but here in that like 2000 to 2002 might have been the time when i liked test the most um, because mm-hmm. of his, I guess because of his similarities a little bit to Nash and that he could just do a little bit more physically in the ring. So I was not a, I did not uh, dislike Test in any way. I uh, met Test a couple times at some Waffle Houses in North Carolina. Um, <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, after the after shows, yeah, he was uh, met him one time. He was wearing a, an Edge shirt, which was kind of cool. <laughs> Just all the boys would everybody. always you you see them all over the place. They'd all be wearing each other's shirts. I guess that was the rule on the road. You can't wear your own shirt. So I saw Val Venus in an Undertaker shirt and saw the Hardy Boys in an Austin shirt and everybody just wore each other's shit all the time back then. It was cool. But um, I actually kind of liked Test, but didn't think that he was should have been higher or anything. I'm like, oh, they should have put right. the world title on Test. I never felt that way about Test. I just liked Test enough, um, you know, to just to like him. <laughs> kind uh, yeah. Of, I don't think he was unfairly treated or anything. I think it was an like appropriate that. amount of success that he got. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you think... <laughs> This is kind of random, but I recently watched that Fear Factor episode that they did with the WWE. I guess it was F at the time, but Edge was oh, on yeah. it. And uh, he was so chill. Like, he was such like a cool dude. I almost wonder, like, do you think he should have been, do you think he should have spent more time as a babyface than a heel? Because here's a heel. And I don't know. I, it doesn't, like, pop up the screen to me. 
Yeah, especially when you see them in like a not a WWE uh, environment and you see how they speak or you see how they act or something like, oh, man, why didn't they try doing that with this guy? I mean, if they would have tried to if they would have stuck test with Edge and Christian or with Angle or had him do some segments with them, you know, or some Mm -hmm. just funnier people or something, maybe you could have seen personality sides of him that you didn't know were there come out. But he was never really in those positions to really you know, show dimensions to his personality. Always seemed like the same type of guy to me. Um, Always, yeah, always just kind of a heel, always kind of an asshole. All the stuff he did with Stacy and, you know, and all of that, uh, that might've been after this. The testicles. Um, Yeah, the testicles and all Mm -hmm. that. I think, yeah, if he tried to be more of a baby face, you know, it would have been worth a shot anyway. Yeah. You know, I think he was on the right track. I mean, he got a great ovation when he beat Shane McMahon. At SummerSlam. That's probably my favorite test match of all time. Yeah, like when he's like kissing Stephanie or something, you know, in the ring and then the background of the crowd just standing and going nuts. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they were pulling for him. You know, he had to have a story and a reason for the fans to pull for him, but they were. That was probably peak babyface test. Yeah. Should have ran with that, you know, but I I think they mishandled that because, you know, his character should have been more mad. Yeah, they never really, they might have had like a quick match on Raw, like testing Triple H, but they never capitalized on that at all. Yeah, you know, instead of his Triple H was in feuds with, with other people and stuff, and uh, Tess just kind of faded away. So he got a lot of criticism for that, I remember. People were like, what's well, his character should care more or whatever. But yeah, I think uh, maybe a combination of a little bit WWE could have tried more with him, but like yeah. you said, appropriate amount of success. Then TNA the was a thing, and then mm-hmm. it's all from yeah. that. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, if there's any opportunity to show what you're made of, it's with the match against The Undertaker at SummerSlam. Yeah. Decent match, you know, nothing to uh, write home about, really. Right. I mean, you got Taker, obviously the uh, American badass, so the story writes itself. Yeah. Uh, at some point, Test gets Taker up for uh, the pump handle slam, but Taker slides out, goes for a choke slam. Test blocks it and then hits the uh, or goes for the big boot, but gets countered into a choke slam. So you got a little good back and forth there. Mm-hmm. Uh, only gets a two count, which uh, made Test look pretty strong at that point, because not a lot of people were kicking out of Taker's choke slam at this point. No, no, not at all. And of course, those damn Canadians again come out. We've got Storm and Christian back out here. Taker just shits on both of them. Choke slams, yeah. <laughs> both huge choke slams. I forget. Well, the first one, it was like the guy went like to yeah, the rafters. Really, I love when he gets up that high. I think it was Lance Storm. But then, uh, but this allows this distracts Taker. Test out of nowhere with that big boot again. But again, only gets a two count. And uh, so Test is pissed, just used his best move. So he goes out, grabs a chair, but that chair gets booted back to his face by Taker. And then Taker breaks out the tombstone for yeah. the win. So uh, I don't know if he just didn't have faith that he could do the last ride on uh, Test or if he just wanted to oh, yeah. maybe just, you know, bring it back for old time six. I don't think he's done it, really. Well, he did it against Flair, I think. So it was only really like yeah. big matches where he would pull it out at this point. But yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. So he won with the tombstone. I didn't think about the last ride. He didn't even try to get him up or try to catch him on the top rope or something. Just get him up that way and yeah, throw him down. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Tombstone for the win was pretty old school. And I kind of I mean, at least it gave test like a pay-per-view match against Undertaker, too. You know, so they're, they're putting they knew and they felt enough about him to put him in the ring with Taker at a big pay-per-view, even though he really didn't have much of a chance to win. Kind of felt like this match was a little bit of a buffer, too. Just had that great IC. We're about to go into HBK and Sean. You needed some something in between that wasn't going to keep you on the edge of your seat too much. And I know with me, I wasn't on the edge of my seat too much with those two guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you have that iconic visual of your taker goes into the crowd after the match grabs an american yeah. flag gets in the turnbuckle as it behind them just yeah. cool shot that's really what it's, it's less about taker versus test and more about taker versus canada so that's yeah. really mm-hmm. 
the resolution we all wanted and uh, it's a happy ending, yeah. I guess. Nassau's awfully close to Canada. They're damn near up there. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah they, they feel the cold, so they're more pissed yeah. off at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, so next match is a uh, one of the best of all time, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. An unsanctioned match. Triple H versus Shawn Michaels. Whew, so this is, uh, I believe JR said... Uh, 1,609 days since Sean's last match. So a little over four yeah. years. Mm-hmm. Man, what a uh, what a build to this match. Because um, you were watching at this time. How surreal was it to see Sean back in the ring after such a long layoff? Yeah, I was relieved because every time he had come back prior to that and been on TV as a referee or just appearing or something, it just, it didn't feel, he did, you didn't feel like he was there. He was back. You could just, mm-hmm. this time you could tell it was different. He was in better shape. He had cleaned himself up. And, uh, I was at, I think that it was before the match was announced, I think, but I was at a show in Raleigh in the summer. And all I remember, it was a segment involving Brock and it was raw Brock and, and triple H and Sean, Sean was like wearing a red shirt and he dove mm-hmm. over the top rope to attack somebody. And I was in the crowd with my buddy and I like elbowed him. I'm like, he's coming back. Yeah. That's the first time I was like, that's the first time he's gotten physical. He dove yeah. over and he's attacking somebody. He's going to wrestle again, you know? And then I think it was the next week or whatever it was that they, they worked all the deals out with, um, you know, and did the angle for SummerSlam. So I was happy to see him back. I was relieved that he seemed to be in a little bit better of a place. Um, and, uh, coming back to work, triple H, just didn't know at that time if it was going to be a permanent thing, one match thing, you mm-hmm. know, what it was going to turn out to be. But I was, uh, it was surreal because I started to give up hope. You know, I mean, I almost started to give up on him. I almost did because I felt like he, I thought he was going to come back in one year after WrestleMania 14. Right. I thought he would be back by the end of 98, 99. And as each year went on, and not only was he coming back, there was no talk of bringing him back. I just kind of started forgetting about him, you know? So I was, yeah. Couldn't believe that not only came back, but came back to the level that he did. So, yeah, I was it was definitely surreal, but I was super happy. Yeah, for sure. Especially like like you mentioned, they would bring him back, back for like little appearances here and there. I think he was even the commissioner for a few weeks or something like yeah. that. Yeah, I just did a watch along or I'm sorry, a review of Judgment Day 2000 uh, when he was the ref for the Iron Man match. Right. And I was mentioning what terrible shape he was in. You know, he had no definition on his arms. He mm-hmm. had a belly. Yeah, he looked skinny. He looked pale. I'm like, he just doesn't look like Sean. He looks like uh, somebody who's just not been, he hasn't left his couch in three years or whatever. And I just remember, mm-hmm. and a lot of that was probably just the drugs. And he wasn't in bad shape. He just wasn't in Sean shape, you know, yeah. like we're used to seeing. Um, and I just remember kind of being sad at his physical condition. So when he came back here, it was really cool to see him, you know, bulked up again and clearly focused and ready to work and yeah that was awesome when your whole character is premised on like you're a heartthrob you're a sexy boy and you're not sexy anymore you're just a boy like yeah yeah really he was trying to wear those little short shorts and like they didn't work on him anymore you know he was trying to wear those little referee (laughs) short shorts when he was the referee in that judgment day match and his shirt became untucked and then the shirt covered up the shorts so it looked like he was just out there in a shirt and (laughs) you know like his nightgown or something he just didn't look right i'm like it was just different so i was so happy to see him when they brought back into the dx thing and you could Mm. tell you know when sean came back and joined the nwo even i'm like he's in better shape he looks like he's in ring shape this time yeah which is which is good and that's a whole weird thing too the nwo element of it because that's how they initially brought sean back which is a weird thing in hindsight but again it's like we've seen sean come back here and there so it's like okay maybe he's just here to pop in for a few weeks be the leader of the nwo and then maybe probably leave again 
Yeah, I thought it was cool when he came in as the NWO when they did the they reenacted the high five thing with Nash in the ring. That was the first time I had seen that since their Razor and yeah. or I'm sorry, their Diesel and HBK days. Two, two dudes, dudes with attitudes. Attitude yep. Yeah, and uh, that was just so awesome to see. But everything immediately crumbled. Nash got hurt, and you know, all the NWO thing didn't work. Well, it's probably for the ended. best. Yeah, yeah, because it put it put him into this program. Exactly. Yeah, and that yeah. kind of because initially was this is something that I don't even think I ever knew of. It, the whole thing was when Sean was in the NWO, they were going to try to bring in Triple H into the NWO. And that's it was on that's um, right. was it Vengeance. Yeah, I guess it was Vengeance. They had a whole segment where Eric Bischoff and Stephanie McMahon were both like competing to get Triple H on their brands. Mm-hmm. And initially that was supposed to be an NWO segment where they were going to try to convince Triple H to join the NWO. So it kind of oh yeah, all kind of ties in together because when the NWO disbanded, then you have the whole segment with Bischoff and Steph. Uh, Sean comes out during that and he basically convinces Triple H to join Raw because I guess Sean is on Raw at that point and um, brings him back because we're going to have fun and we're going to, you know, mm. like it'll be like the old days. It was the whole thing. And then, uh, like you said, they they reunite as DX. They all come out with the shirts and the music and they're doing up the whole if you, you know, or not if you smell, if the uh, let's get rid of the suck it thing. And yeah. as Triple H is about to finish his line, pedigree to Shawn Michaels and then um, so pretty much turning heel at that point and then kicking it off. And then it ramps up the week after, I believe, when uh, Sean is found in the parking lot. Just blood, his whole face is bloody and there's a hole in the window of some car. So he clearly got his head shoved through a car window and it's a whole like whodunit thing. Mm-hmm. And then um, <laughs> there's like camera footage that shows Triple H and it was you, Hunter, that whole thing. So, yeah. um Really, really cool build to this, and it's just cool to see yeah. Triple H versus Shawn Michaels at this point. I know. I'm wondering if they just wanted to give us that DX moment because it was weird to see those two guys at that stage doing the DX thing. Triple H was physically so different, yeah. looked different than he did back in his DX days. And I'm like, why didn't they? I just thought the better reveal for the heel turn would have been when he revealed that he was the one that smashed Shawn's head in the car because he would already turn heel, yeah. and then he like felt bad about what happened to him. I'm going to vow to find out who happened, and then he turned heel again. I mean, he really like, I mean, he was already healed, but he just revealed that it was him. But I think I would have saved the whole heel turn for the security camera catching Triple H doing it. And then he smiles at the camera. It was your damn right. It was me, Sean. That to me should have been the heel turn. Right. Like when I look back on it, but he kind of already did the DX heel turn and then just reiterated his heel turn or something. Or even if they would have just flipped it, maybe they do the attack on Shawn Michaels and then maybe a few weeks go by and then they reunite as DX maybe and then he pedigrees yeah. him and then he grabs the mic afterwards and he's like, it was me that did it or yeah. something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I just thought it would have been better because it felt like he just kind of did heel turn twice and I'm like, did they do the whole first heel turn just so we could get <laughs> the DX music yeah. and the shirts and the and just give the fans that experience one final time until 2006? But um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was all a really good setup. Just Sean being back and getting physical, and obviously building to a pay per view match with somebody was was all I needed to be happy. Yeah, you know for sure. And then uh, they go all out for it. I don't know if it was intended to be a one off or not, but man, Sean comes out, his music and a, t- a shit ton of pyro, uh, yeah. confetti just shooting all. It's like a, a wall of pyro. He walks through, and there's just streamers yeah. everywhere. It's really cool, a really cool visual. Um jeans cowboy boots just yeah he had the chaps on his sparkly chaps on over his jeans i think he came out and that was i think so and then he like danced them off i think just just for his entrance he had him on he had him on and then uh yeah he would take him off and i think wrestle in the boots (laughs) and the the jeans and stuff which is right 
Um, it was surreal hearing the music again and seeing him come out for real this time to fight. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's awesome. It's, it's probably one of those things you don't believe is going to happen until it actually does. Yeah. And then they go all, all, all out because Sean out with a back injury, at least initially. So Triple H, of course, attacks the back for uh, the beginning parts of the match. Uh, it's a, a huge backbreaker to counter a sweet chin music. Uh, a couple of them. And then, uh, you know, Irish whips him in the corner. Like all of his offense is targeting the back, which uh, makes psycho- psychological sense. Uh, even brings in a chair at some point because it's unsanctioned. Several mm-hmm. shots to the back. And then uh, Triple H gives him uh, a DDT to onto the chair. So busting Sean wide open. And uh, so it's really like the, this beginning stages of this match. It's like, did Sean come back too soon? Is he ready? That's kind of the story that's being told here. Mm-hmm. Earl Hebner, even at one point, is like, come on, knock it off, damn it. And he's like, <laughs> Triple H is doing the abdominal stretch with the rope steel. And then yeah, him and Hebner push each other. Uh, how do you feel about like referees getting involved like in this capacity? Do you think it takes away from the match or do you think it kind of elevates how serious of a situation think- this is? Maybe I don't think it takes so. It just depends on the situation. I think there can be a case where maybe the referee's going too far. Mm-hmm. There is all sorts of history with Triple H and Earl because they would do this spot where they would push each other. Like even before Jericho won the title on Raw in 99 and Earl was mm-hmm. a big part of that, even before that in like 96, 97, the two of these guys would do that spot where Triple H would push Earl, he'd hit the ropes and push Triple H back and bump, Triple H would bump. Yeah. They've been doing that for like six years. So they always have those two a history of getting in each other's faces so with earl i don't mind this specific thing because he his his character hates triple h and his character does not take any shit from triple h even though earl was the perfect referee for this because he was supposed to be the ref for sean's match with austin at wrestlemania which was Mm -hmm. his last match and before that match triple h and sean are like this is for you earl like before going out to the ring so seeing earl being able to ref sean's return match was so appropriate. Then when you tie in all the the physical history he has with Triple H, I thought he was the perfect referee. So in this case, no, but I'm sure there's some cases where referees get too involved. Maybe I can't think of anything specific, but mm-hmm. usually with Earl, no, because Earl was always just kind of a no-nonsense referee. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, he'd get physical. And I kind of like that. I like that he was fiery, you know, because he was so little and get his ass kicked so easily, but he would stand up to a lot of guys. Oh, he could no shove a motherfucker. Were. That Earl had Yeah, you know, so he was just he was just good at that. So in this particular instance, no, I don't think it was a, a problem at all. But I'm sure you can point to examples where mm-hmm. maybe it's like, man, that referee's doing a lot or something, but just here, I didn't I didn't care. Yeah. And it kind of ties in because Triple H, the whole thing is like Triple H, he wants to cripple Shawn Michaels. He wants to put him back on the shelf. And that's kind of, yeah. it feels like that's like slowly happening in this part of the mm-hmm. match. So Earl's like, come on, man, just, just pin him. You don't have to actually cripple him. Right. Um, and then Triple H, he does not listen to Earl Hebner. He uh, no. sets up a chair and then gives Shawn a backbreaker through the chair, which I love the way it just crashed through the chair. Yeah, I just melted spent underneath him yeah yeah then uh working that back hard because i think at this at this point i think maybe the intent was for it just to be a one-off and i think the decision came for sean to get in the ring more and more as the months went on Mm -hmm. but yeah that's why they kept telling the story of triple h trying to end him and you know do as much damage as he can to him yeah but then uh it turns around at this point triple h grabs the chair goes to swing it at sean but uh sean super kicks the chair into the face of triple h so it's like okay he has some life at this mm-hmm. point, but can he capitalize on it? So both guys are busted open at this point. Um, but then they fight out to the ring and then, or, or sorry, before that in the ring, Sean hits his forearm followed by the kip up, which at this point in time, we all know that's like a, 
a signature move that he does. But in 2002, maybe people weren't as familiar. Maybe they forgot about it. Maybe they thought maybe cool that is. Maybe he can't kip up anymore. Maybe the back's been worked so much he can't do it. But when he kipped up, the crowd just erupted. And I think that's kind of like because it kind of progresses after that. That Sean does like these things that we now know are like kind of commonplace for Sean, like the sunset Mm -hmm. flips and the cross bodies and all that. Like maybe at this point, and I wasn't watching at this point, but maybe some people were like, does Sean still have it? Like he physically looks in shape, but is he in ring shape? And then I think as, as the match kind of progresses, you see Sean, you see like that old HBK kind of materializing in front of you. So I I love that element because he was just doing the most simple things, but the crowd was eating it all up. Yeah, and I remember like it was the the question was answered pretty quick in this match for me anyway. If Sean was like in because I was a little worried if he could do the things, but like when I yeah. saw how he looked physically and the way he was working and moving around with Triple H right off the bat, I'm like he looks to be back. But that like kip up and stuff, that's what solidified it. And he did it with cowboy boots, which are you know <laughs> way, which are way heavier than your wrestling boots are going to be. And you know doing all this stuff, he did the big dive to the table, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. And all the stuff he was doing physically, it was like it was literally. I know they say it cliched. Oh, it's like he never left, but it really was he was sean of 1998 in this match and i was not expecting him to be that sean i knew he'd still be sean but i'm like he's got to have lose a half a step yeah or so he lost nothing you know he's so props to him he got himself in shape bring shape probably worked out a lot got himself ready and uh he was uh he was everybody's as good as he was the day left in my mind yeah if not better really i mean yeah. with hindsight we know what he would mm-hmm. do after this and just yeah with angle with taker with jericho oh, yeah. like just classic after classic. So, um, but we're still in this mess. So Triple H or Sean and Triple H fight to the outside and Sean returns the favor because you know, earlier in the match, Triple H was hitting him with trash cans and he even took off his belt and was whipping him. Sean returns the favor with trash can shots and belt shots. Uh, they fight like towards the announce position and Sean takes off the shoe of, I think it was like Hugo Zavinovich or somebody. Yeah. Um, and batters <laughs> Triple H in the head with a shoe. And then King has a funny line. He says, well, that's a heel for a heel. A heel for a heel. Lawler's well, always got one. Oh, man. He's always on. Then <laughs> uh, Sean, he like he's, he's kicking Triple H's ass at this point. So he's like kind of like the charisma is coming out of him a little bit. Like HPK is kind of because he was spent this whole first half of this match getting his ass kicked. But now it's like, OK, yeah. HPK is here. So he's like runs around the whole ring and. Bulldogs, Triple H on the stairs, which is a funny spot. Yeah. Uh, catapult. But Sean brings out a ladder, which the crowd pops hard for. It's like, man, I didn't think that would be in this with these guys. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, catapults Triple H into the ladder, sits it up in the corner. Uh, in the ring, Sean hits a superplex. But I like this little, like, detail. He turns his body a little bit on the superplex, almost like a Falcon arrow kind of thing, because his mm-hmm. back had been worked on the entire match and the previous injuries. Yeah. Those little things I think is what makes Sean so good. Yeah. yeah he's got to sell what's wrong with him and make sure that yeah. he's doing that right. He did the whole time. Yep. And then, uh, Sean pulls out a table, just pleasing every member of the audience with <laughs> every weapon that they yeah. can imagine, uh, sets it up on the outside. We get that classic spot where he sets triple H up on the table splash from the top rope through the table on the outside just man the bold the flashes from the camera i miss that man yeah i know flash photography yeah sean does a little thing before he jumps you know and <laughs> just says f it why not you know and i that's that was another moment in the match where i was like oh he's he's back i'm like that's uh-huh 
you know, he's doing everything. He's does not, he's zero F's given and just diving off top ropes. And so if there was any worry that he's so physically hurt that he could break himself or permanently injure himself in a match, that was pretty much gone when he's uh-huh. diving off of top ropes into tables. I'm like, Oh, he can work. You know, so he yeah. should be back for more. Like we should see more of him. Hopefully. I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, he keeps up, upping the ante, brings out the ladder, brings the ladder inside the ring, sets it up and hits an elbow drop on a triple H from, you know, most of the way up the ladder. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sean's the crowd at this point is just on their feet. The, the energy at this point of the match is crazy. Sean starts tuning up the band, goes for the sweet chin music. Even JR is like, bam, because he's like so convinced he's going to hit him. But then Triple H blocks it, spins him around, goes for the pedigree. But Sean reverses, sweeps the leg into a jackknife pin for mm-hmm. the win. Again, the crowd is just on fire. They loved it. Uh, really great moment. And uh, the aftermath was the aftermath. But as far as the match yeah. itself, I mean, yeah. Props to Triple H for putting him over, too. You know, I mean, I kind of thought, like, Triple H has already been world champ a couple times by this point and, you know, um, happy to do the deed for Sean and, and welcome him back. I love the kiss to Earl Hebner after the after he won. <laughs> yeah. and that was cool. And um, it was just good for Sean. That was probably just a great moment for him, you know, just to be back. I did it. Not only did I did it, our match was good. And any worries or thought I had of not being able to deliver or come through on pay-per-view are gone. It's probably right. quite the relief. And so, yeah, all it was all great for right then until five seconds later. <laughs> yeah, when, man, he's at the height. The, yeah. <laughs> the peak. Oh, you can't be any happier. Yeah. Sledgehammer to the spine. One yeah. shot from Triple H and then a second one from, you know, a 12 to six shot to the back of Shawn Michaels. And uh, man. Jim Ross is not too happy with Jim this. Ross, that son of a bitch. <laughs> he, hates, he hates Triple H. Oh, Somebody man. put together a montage of just Jim Ross calling Triple H a son of a bitch or screaming at <laughs> Triple H about something he did. Of like they were like, Jim Ross really hates Triple H. And it's just like all these different clips. That son of a bitch. And that dastardly devil, evil bastard. Like just the worst things you can say on USA Cable is uh-huh. what Jim Ross was saying about Triple H over and over. Pretty funny. It's got to be an hour long montage. <laughs> Yeah, I, I know it, it was it was pretty close. We knew though watching this on pay-per-view exactly what that was. It was a disappointing to me. I'm like, fuck, Sean's not coming back or he's at least going to be off TV for quite a while. Right. Because I'm like, after this, how do you not come back on your how are you not in the ring from now on after a match like this? So as soon as they did the sledgehammer spot, I'm like, ah, that's so they can get him back off for a few months until they figure out when to bring him back. Probably Survivor Series or something like that mm-hmm. is what I had in my head. But I knew that sledgehammer shot meant we weren't going to see Sean wrestling on Raw. And I remember being slightly bummed about that. Right. Yeah, it's def- I think it is Survivor Series. This is his next match, which is funny because he wins oh, the yeah. fucking world title oh, yeah. in that match. Um, but yeah, so he is off TV for a while. I know they took the whole deal at one point where Sean's like in a wheelchair. It's at the yeah. world or something. He's like on yeah, stage. Yeah, and then he just jumps out of it. Yeah, <laughs> so that's how we. And then he just jumped out, and I remember being like happy about that. I'm like, oh, he is okay because they kept doing the wheelchair deal. I'm like, are they really going to try to pass this guy off as like paralyzed at home? I'm like, how long can they really do this? <laughs> yeah. And then he just pops out of the wheelchair like it's nothing. I'm like, oh, okay. And, uh, and that's when they stuck him in the the chamber, I guess, shortly after that. So. Yep. Yep. And then uh, after the match, Triple H, the visual of a bloody Triple H holding the sledgehammer, it's just slunking away, maniacally laughing. Yep. It's just a great what visual stretcher what job for Sean. Yeah, this yeah. son of a bitch. <laughs> um, but yeah, so great stuff there. And there's only one way to follow that. Oh, yeah. With the fink. So yeah, with the fink. Yep. <laughs> got to have, have the fink next. This was our buffer uh, between the two big matches here. 
Yeah, I get it. I mean, I definitely get it, but it's just, it's still silly in hindsight. Um, are you a uh, are you a baseball fan, or were you a baseball fan at this point? Yeah, I mean enough enough of one to know about it. Not diehard fan or anything, but yeah, I'm a baseball fan. Were you uh, were you bummed when the MLB MLB went on strike? That's right. This was this year. Well, God, I remember several strikes. I almost forgot that they had one in 02. Yeah. Um, I've never super bummed when some when they when leagues go on strike for some reason. Only yeah. because I'm like, fuck them. You know, <laughs> like you know, I was like, guy, they don't want to play. I don't want to see them or whatever. But um, yeah, I've never had a strike affect me. Maybe I cared about an NBA one a little bit more than baseball, but at this time, mm-hmm. I don't think I was losing sleep over it. You know. Yeah, it's funny. I, I was I've been in and out of baseball. It's been a while since I've really cared about it. But 2002, because I wasn't watching wrestling this year, but I, what I was watching was a lot of baseball. So if I would have watched this promo by Fink, boy, he would have ruffled my feathers because. Uh, oh, yeah. Did they did they lose the whole year? No, I, I don't even know if they actually. I think there was like talks of them going on strike. OK, or so maybe they, they did, lost yeah. a few games or something. I don't think it was a big thing. OK, yes. Yeah, so they must not have lasted long because I didn't uh, quite recall that. I remember the previous year, the Diamondbacks beat the Yankees in the World Series mm-hmm. in 01. In 01, so I didn't recall when a strike happened, but yeah, that's right. Fink did bring it up. Yeah, and there was like a, even a commercial during the show. It was like other sports might, you know, yeah. contract negotiations might determine their schedule, but there's no yeah. off season in WWE. It's like yeah. wrestling have heat with baseball. Is that like a, a yeah? No, yeah. They always, like, they always like to brag that they didn't get themselves stuck in situations where the talent actually has a little bit of say in what they do. All right. <laughs> so they make a, <laughs> so they make a commercial bragging about that they have theirs by the balls. Yeah. And our, in our league, our talent can't strike. We won't let them. <laughs> <laughs> so that's basically what that commercial was. Yeah. Oh man, the grapefruits on WWE. Man. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so Fink, Fink's a bit of a heel at this point because uh, he's so he's kind of, I guess, Lillian Garcia's like taking over his spot a little bit. And yeah. uh, they had a segment on Raw where Fink, I don't remember what he said. He's like, I've been doing that. I was the first employee. You can't just take my spot. And then three minute warning comes out. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Fink, I forget what exactly happened, but Fink basically throws Lillian to the wolves and they kick the shit out of Lillian. So, um, that's yeah. why this whole thing is happening. So Fink's out there. He's like, oh, this is the first time I've been in this Coliseum announcing since WrestleMania 2. He's like, who gives a shit? And yeah. then uh, he's like, MLB might be going on strike, but you will always have the Fink. <laughs> and uh, out comes nice Trish guy. Stratus. Trish, oh yeah, finally. That's some female representation. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> God, this segment here. So Fink and Trish are, you know, jaw jacking in the ring. Uh, Fink says something about, listen here, Trish, you, you might feel comfortable here because you're in an arena full of Long Island skanks. It's like, God damn, <laughs> Fink. And geez, Fink's harsh. <laughs> He's brutal. Uh, Trish, and Trish is like, Fink, I think, I think I've always thought you've had a sexy voice. And then Fink with the line of the century, he says, you got the puppies. I got the wiener. Yeah. He's got his wiener. It's, it's there. His penis, in yeah. case you want a little bit. In case anybody was curious, he's uh, yeah. Howard, Howard Howard's passing out wiener. I'm good. I'm <laughs> Howard, I'm I'm good on Fink Wiener. <laughs> Are um, you? I'm all right. You I'm can ask him if you that. want. Yeah, that was yeah. the one question I wanted to ask you is if you but, wanted um, this wiener. But yeah, no, I'm good. Cool on the wiener. So, uh, that'll be the headline of this episode. But um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Trish and Fink hug, and then Lillian Garcia comes out, slaps Fink, kicks him in the balls, and then. All the ladies are happy, I guess. Yeah. So that's poor Fink. Yeah. 
poor Fink and his. Usually he's the baby face in that situation. He's getting bullied and then he gets, you know, he gets some revenge. But this time he's the heel. He's the bully. Yeah. Well, I was all for it. He should have had a bigger role. Put the title on Fink for all I can. Yeah. They should have made this whole segment the main event. (laughs) Just had Brock and Rock open the show. Or Brock versus Rock versus Fink. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that poster. I can see that happening. Yeah. Heck yeah. But unfortunately, we just have the Rock versus Brock Lesnar little match here. Uh, yep. for the WWE undisputed world heavyweight championship. And, uh, so this is the point that in hindsight, this is really the last time we see babyface rock, like in this capacity, I guess, you know, with his match in John Cena with John Cena, maybe, but yeah. in this run, this is really the last time we see him like this. Cause the crowd was starting to turn on rock. He's getting a little Hollywood at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, were you like, were you of that opinion that you felt like rock was had his one foot in Hollywood and was kind of leaving? Yeah. I already felt like he was gone. Um, I felt like he, he was going to come back in the summer anyway. He came a little bit early when Austin left. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he was due back to come back for a short time and do something, but was probably going to go off and leave again. Cause he was doing the movies and then he got signed on to do the other mummy and he already done SNL by then. And you could tell, and I remember being real bummed out about it, that he was going to be leaving because Austin was gone as well. <laughs> but, um, here, uh, Rock and Brock, yeah, I kind of, I kind of felt like Brock was probably going to win the title. I was still really surprised that they would put a belt on a guy that quickly, but in my mind, I felt like, well, if Rock doesn't lose it here, he's going to mm. lose it soon because he's, he's leaving. And yeah, I already had, I already had like the Rock, the babyface Rock as we knew him. I felt like it was already gone. He had just come back briefly here in 2002, but mm-hmm. it felt temporary. And yeah, this was essentially it for so long. The oath of Hollywood Rock would be in 03, but then after that, I don't even consider WrestleMania 20. I don't even think of that match yeah. as one of my last memories of The Rock. Like it's all here in 2002. Yeah, for, for sure. You know, yeah, it's only yeah. I guess it's 2003 or maybe late 2002. He comes back with the tattoo and the leather vest mm-hmm. and the glasses. Yeah, leaning. That was all good. Yeah, yeah, that was all great and everything. But like this Rock. You know, as we knew him, like this, this was it. I, you know, I've definitely felt like he was going to be doing a lot more Hollywood stuff and a lot less wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's champion here. Just that, it's almost a transitionary reign. It's weird to say about The Rock, but that's really what it was. Yeah. He just won the title at Vengeance the month before. Yeah, and that uh, that classic triple threat match with Taker and Kurt Angle. Yeah, and uh, Brock Lesnar. I mean, you said it. He's still very new. Five months in to his run in WWE, he's, he's won King of the Ring which yeah. is uh, how he got this match, by the way. That was the stakes, which yeah. I liked. Um, destroyed both Hardy Boys, destroyed Flair, ended Hulkamania. Like, this is a scent. I mean, it's yeah. been quick, but I, it was, it's been effective. I mean, just look at the yeah. fucking guy. He's a monster. So. I know, yeah. They uh, they saw... I mean, I, I thought he was just amazingly physically awesome. I was just still, like, really shocked that they were going to go with him, but how could you not? He, he was already on the tear. Yeah, you, you said it. Put down Hogan, won the King of the Ring. It was mm-hmm. just smashing everybody he came into contact with and now he's gonna have to face the rock yeah the right the writing was definitely on the wall going into this match for sure yeah for rock yeah, yeah for sure um but man this feels like a main event i don't know about you the rock versus brock lesnar it's just so much because like you said it's like are they gonna put the title on him so quickly and is he gonna beat because the rock is still the rock no matter what he is i yeah. mean he's still a top guy in pop culture like beyond wrestling so it's like is this new mm. guy gonna beat the rock but uh yeah we see what happens. So uh, I like that. I like that Rock passed the belt off to Angle and Brock. You know, in his career, you know, both of those guys right. beat Rock for their first titles, and I kind of think it's cool that he was the guy to do that for them. You know, both of them because you know as, as legit as Angle was, Jesus, now you got Brock. Um, 
you know, and Brock, and Rock was all in. The video package treatment they did for this was very good. Mm -hmm. It felt like a high-profile match. It felt like a big deal. Rock and Brock. I had a roommate at the time who didn't really care about wrestling, and I was he, I was watching this uh, the segment, the buildup on like a Raw one week or SmackDown, whatever it was, mm -hmm. and he was just like, that Brock guy is fucking huge, man. He was just kind of like watching. Yeah. He goes, uh, he goes, they're facing each other. I'm like, yeah, in two weeks at the pay-per-view or whatever. He's like, damn, <laughs> you know, he, he had mild interest in it. He didn't really know either guy really, but just based on the way they were presenting it, mm -hmm. he was like, that kind of looks like it'll be a good fight. You know, I'm like, it's yeah. probably going to be. God, Brock so. Lesnar. I mean, he's obviously still going today. Still a monster. Yeah. But 2002 mm -hmm. Brock Lesnar is like, he's a cartoon character because he's so obviously so jacked up but then you see him get yeah. in there he hops over the top rope he's moving yeah. around like a cat it's just crazy he made me feel like i wasn't doing enough with my life because i'm the exact <laughs> brock, brock and i are like a month apart so in age so like right. brock was doing this at the very same age i am and i'm like how come what's stopping me from doing that everything <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> oh my god he's 200 pounds heavier than me and he can do shooting star presses and shit like what the hell <laughs> well um almost. so he's just stupidly tough and big and bad and yeah he's the exact same age as me and i was the size of his leg it blew my mind <laughs> hey man it's never too late it's never yeah. too late just get those because it cracked me up i think it was on like raw or smackdown it was like it was like a a segment a video package just showing brock's various workouts like uh yeah this it would be like dramatic music with like the sticks and then he has like the, the sticks, sticks where he's yeah. doing like push-ups on it it's like, yeah okay. he would make his own gyms and his barns and stuff and get himself and get himself in country shape that, that's, that's what i imagine that's a, that's a different does. type of shape when he's yeah. not on wwe tv he's out there throwing a tree around somewhere yeah so that's what Which you do apparently he is so yeah um so yeah the match is pretty good uh especially i'm mean, after following triple h for Shawn michaels was a, a mm. tough follow but i thought uh the, the energy of this match is really good. I mean, it felt like a main event to me. Rock, Rock from the beginning sprints to the ring, uh, yeah. but gets hit with a belly to belly from Brock. So it's like, oh shit, this is a this dude's right build different. Yeah. So um, Rock locks in his uh, classic sharpshooter at some point, um, but as he's he has this in Heyman, who's ringside, of course, he gets involved a few times in this match. But at this point, he throws in a chair, which distracts the ref. Lesnar grabs this chair when the ref's distracted and jabs it into Rock's ribs, which were previously injured on Raw, SmackDown, I think both Raw and SmackDown. So, uh, again, that's kind of the story is attacking the ribs and Lesnar locks in this bear hug. Now, I'm sure you've seen quite a few bear hugs in your day, and there's a lot of times where it can feel like, oh, they're just taking a nap for a little bit. Yeah. Like I watched um, recently, I watched, I think it was Mabel versus uh, might have been Savio Vega, the King of the Ring match. And like half that match is just Mabel like bent over, yeah. just falling asleep on Savio's stomach. Yeah. But this it's one popular with it's popular with big guys to do that. I was I was at WrestleMania three in uh -huh. uh, Pontiac and Hogan and Andre had about a eight minute bear hug spot in the match. They mm -hmm. just sat there, you know, and I remember the next day at school, that was a big topic of conversation was the bear hug. Um, like <laughs> that, that bear hug was like 30 minutes, you know, or whatever. We were talking about the bear hug. So, yeah, bear hugs are classic rests. But here, like Brock is so believable. Isn't that how he put Hogan down? Did he put him down yes. with the bear yeah. hug when he wiped the thing? Yeah. So I like that they were using a simple move as old as the business is mm -hmm. to be used in a 2002 SummerSlam main event. I kind of like that a little bit because it highlights Brock's strength. Right. He can squeeze your organs out of your mouth, you know, if he <laughs> if he tightens up hard enough. 
And that's the story. Yeah, I mean, visually, it makes sense. I mean, he looks like yeah. he could just squeeze you with one hand. But yeah, this bear hug, and he's not just sitting there. He's like taking, he's like using his amateur wrestling background. He's like gator mm-hmm. rolling him. He's like rolling yeah. him into pins. Like he's actively doing stuff in this bear hug, which is yeah. something I noted. But, he's a wrestler. Yeah, he's just wrestling, yeah. just been imposing his will. And, he's, and Rock is so strong, you know, and when Brock is able to manhandle him, like mm-hmm. how strong you got to be to manhandle the Rock? Jesus. Right. Yeah. But uh, Rock, of course, eventually fights out, does this whole punch, spits on the hand, punch, and Lesnar just takes a hilarious bump over the top rope, just goes flying. Um, Then uh, Rock hits a catapult on the Lesnar into the ring post, and it just made me laugh because, like, how sweaty Brock was. He hits the ring post, which, by the way, damn near jumps over the post. Yeah, he always sells him. (laughs) Lands and just slides like a slug. Oh, yeah. When he hit the ground, you mean? Like when he hit the mat, he slides back. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because he he would always really jump hard on the slingshots. He'd always oversell stuff like that. When he slides, it's all that baby oil and sweat, like you said. (laughs) He just little slip and slide down. He's like, oh, this is fun. Do it again. Me next. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Sleeping out of his pores. Yeah. But uh, (laughs) Rock, God bless Paul Heyman. Rock gives Paul Heyman a rock bottom through the announce table. Uh, quite the bump for old Paul. That there. was crazy. Yeah, I remember. Ugh. Ouch. Yeah, good for Heyman taking that bump. Got to eliminate that aspect of it. Hopefully uh, got a bonus for that. You, th- you would think so. You would think so. Uh, and in the ring, they finally get back in the ring. Rock, it's the rock bottom onto Lesnar, but only gets a two count, amazingly. Uh, Brock gets up and hits the Brock bottom for a two count so both guys are you know whipping out their big guns here rock gets a spine buster goes for the people's elbow but brock hops up like a cat hits a clothesline and then they trade f5 gets countered into a rock bottom attempt gets countered into an f5 and brock is eventually able to hit that f5 for the win so brock lesnar your new undisputed champion five months into his run and uh, yeah. Summer of Rock is here, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Watching it almost, even though that was the predict or the uh, planned outcome, it felt like the fans made that happen or something. Like even when Brock jumped up and countered the people's elbow, mm-hmm. when he jumped up and nailed the rock, like the fans were like, yes, like I swear <laughs> they could feel it. Like he didn't hit the people's elbow. Rock is not putting up with this prancing yeah. around elbow shit. You know, like he's going to annihilate him and then to finally hit the F5 and hit it this time and just even the way he covered him the camera shot it was like that was it i had no doubt that the hand the ref's hands was coming down for three on that after the f5 was fit i'm like that that was that was it and the crowd knew it and everybody you could just feel it and felt like the crowd willed it to happen Mm -hmm. even though it was just something they it was supposed to happen but they turned on wrestlemania and summerslam twice in a row the crowd (laughs) shit on the rock and it worked out because for them doing that with him now it made sense for him to come back as hollywood rock in 2003 you know after that match with hogan and now brock where the fans didn't seem appreciate rock so much um but yeah, I think it was their appreciation for Hogan, of course, the nostalgia, and then their appreciation for Brock, because even the fans knew that he was the next big thing for yeah, real. They it was were, something special. Every, yeah, they weren't. Uh, they weren't like, oh no, I hope it doesn't work. So I can't believe they put the title on him so quick. No, everybody was all about that. Right. So, you know, and that was uh, that's what made those times great because they really felt special and the crowd knew it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah it's. Crazy to see the beginning of his run here, Brock Lesnar, and then we go on to SmackDown, have his matches with Kurt. I think Undertaker's next for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, man, he's got a, a great rest of the year for him. And then Brock leaves for a little bit, comes back, yeah. loses to the Hurricane, leaves again. You know how it yeah. goes. But uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Brock would go into that. He'd have two matches with Taker. I think the second one would be the Hell in the Cell, which was yeah. my favorite, which is just super bloody and brutal and violent. 
And that was, uh, I think that was um, even more so than this match. I remember saying, wow, this Brock is a big deal. They put the title on him in the main event of SummerSlam. I think mm-hmm. what made me the true believer was that Hell in the Cell with Taker. You know, you know who put you know who leaves Taker leaving in a pool of his own blood in a Hell in the Cell match. Yeah. You know, on you know and and does it with no help. Um, that was I'm like, oh wow, this uh, he's a very very large deal. This Mister Lesnar, he sure is. Yeah, yeah especially Taker. Yeah. I mean, he's his his year. I mean, beating Ric Flair and then he became mm-hmm. champion, beating Hulk Hogan. Then he had a pretty decent run and he lost it. He didn't get pinned to lose the title and then he's here beating yeah. Test. He's he's been dominant in 2002. And I mean, he's the fucking Undertaker. He's always like a, a favorite in any match. And then I agree that Hell in a Cell is one of my favorites because there's one yeah. when I when I visualize that match, I, I think of Brock like on the top rope holding the top of the cell. Yeah, that's why I like that first iteration of the cell so much because it was so small. It felt suffocating. Yeah. It felt like a, like you're locked in now. It's like yeah, a, you were in a cell. Yeah, yeah. You were in an actual, actual cell. So yeah, that, uh, the visuals there were so good. And yeah, that was uh, might have been up there with one of my favorite ever. Yeah, this was all the beginning of it. Absolutely. So, yeah. And yeah. That, uh, that brings SummerSlam 02 to a close. Yeah. Any other yeah. overall thoughts on the show? Anything we didn't, we didn't touch on? Um, no, not really. Just actually after we went back and talked about it here and touched on every match, you know, that this really does deserve to get some high appreciation for a good SummerSlam. I mean, this is this card, you know, from top to even the buffer matches are pretty fun and good in this thing. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, and on paper, just a lot of good one on one stuff. The Angle Mysterio and uh, the uh, RVD Benoit and Jericho Flair. Mm-hmm. Just one on one was what the show was about. Rock, Brock, Triple H and, and Sean. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, it's one of the best SummerSlam cards ever. Good opening match, good middle stuff, good main event. Yeah. What else? What else do you want out of card? You know. You had your work rate stuff. What, your, your exactly. Yeah, like, what could they have given you? What, what were we missing <laughs> on the show? You know, what, what were we like? Maybe a women's match, maybe, but people yeah. didn't care back then. You know, so much. So I mean, other than that, there's nothing on the show. You know, where you're like, oh, it would have been stronger if they did this. No, they hit it out of the park in my mind. Yeah, and it felt like so. it was very match heavy. Like I was love mm-hmm. the big percentage of the show was wrestling. Like they had this yeah. stupid stuff with Bischoff and Stephanie, but that was pretty short. And like I said, yeah. it just kicked off like right away. It, it felt it like did. a they're really leaning into the work rate aspect of pro wrestling at this point, which is kind of yeah. Like, you were right. Yeah, two minutes into the show, the mat there, there's a match happening. And yeah. So that's that's pretty rare. So. Yeah. Really refreshing the product. And yeah. Uh, but yeah, good stuff there. But man, thank you once again, Gregorio, for uh, coming Absolutely. on, talking about some wrestling. Where can everybody find you and uh, good mic work? Over on the YouTube is my primary place. Good mic work commentaries on YouTube. I've got a a podcast live stream. We do watch alongs over there. Uh, You can find my podcasts on the uh, podcast sites and iTunes and iHeartRadio and Stitcher and Spotify and all that stuff. I also have a website, goodmicworkcommentaries.com. You can download all my episodes over there. And you can find me on Twitter at goodmicwork. Wrestling content like crazy. Been doing it 12 years. Come check me out. Yeah, you were one of the uh, – you might have been the first wrestling podcast I ever listened to. That was before everybody had a podcast. Wow. But, yeah, uh, right, yeah. <laughs> back in yeah, the Wow, yeah, that goes way back. Yeah, well, I'm happy to do this. And let me know when this uh, video gets up. I'll make sure I th- throw up a link on uh, you know, on my uh, social meds and all that stuff. And uh, hopefully people tune in and watch us talk SummerSlam. Absolutely. Maybe next time yeah. uh, we'll do like a shitty show. We'll do some WCW 95 or something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm down. Once again, thank you to Greg from Good Mike Work for joining me on the Splendiferous show. Really good time with old GMC. Talking about SummerSlam 2002. Like I said, go check out Good Mike Work commentaries wherever you listen to podcasts as well as YouTube. Uh, Good Mike Work commentaries for all things 
bald, handsome Greg. Uh, follow him on Twitter and all that stuff at Greg uh, at Good Mike Work, and uh, you know follow me if you want at Apron Bump on Twitter, um, ApronBump.com for all my socials. All again, all the stuffs in the description. I don't even know why I need to say it, but some people are uh, audio. Uh, I was gonna say audio listeners, but that's the only way to listen. <sighs> well, any hoozle. I think I've about covered it, huh? Fink's Wiener. That's. I've thought more about Howard Finkel's penis in the past uh, couple days than I ever have in my entire life. Uh, you know, God rest his soul, but man, Fink it doesn't strike me as a guy that has a solid piece. Not to speak ill of the dead or anything, but like, I'm sure he was a great guy. Um, just, start, just strikes me as a guy with a smelly acorn penis. So. Um, yeah, well, I got, I got, I got, I got a jam. I got a fucking, I just don't want to talk to you anymore. Uh, <laughs> thank you guys once again for listening. I love you all. Stay tuned for next week. We got in your house four coming at you. Uh, so we go from one of the best shows of all time to Maple versus Yokozuna. So <laughs> it's kind of the highs and lows of the apron bump why you listen you sure as hell ain't listening for this face so or are you i'm hard yeah